With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right. Welcome to a long delayed um, return to the Anonymous Eagle podcast. Uh, as always, my name is Patrick Leary. I'm joined by Sam Newberry and back by popular demand and being an effective guest um, slash potentially recurring guest host going forward. Ben Snyder has also joined us. The people from, begged and I delivered. Yeah. <laughs> from the land of disappointing alumni basketball teams. Uh, the state of Kansas. Yeah, rough, rough week for all my boys out there. Yeah, and that's kind of sort of our jumping off point here is why we decided to get back together as the um, enthusiasm of uh, Marquette Twitter definitely fired up this weekend with the TBT. And why not? I mean, we just got done watching Marquette uh, clinch its ticket to... Uh, Chicago next week, and that was an exhilarating tournament to watch for the three days that Marquette played this past weekend. Um, it was amazing for me personally uh, to see Andrew Rousey in a exhilarating yet somewhat stress-free environment in that I was very much hoping that Marquette would win all three games as they did, but I wasn't, I don't know wasn't going to like think about how disappointed I was for the next two days had they lost like I did having to watch Andrew Rousey's senior year. So it was fantastic to see him getting buckets, but obviously he isn't even like the third option on the team because of how good Dwight Bikes is as a scorer and Jamil Wilson showed up and Elgin Cook, Milwaukee native, was amazing. Um, Retire his number, Marquette. Yeah, well, give him a, give him an honorary degree. He, he deserves it. Yeah, Marquette Marquette graduate for for a weekend. Yeah, um, I also, don't know what you guys like to watch this weekend with TBT. Ben, Sam, Ben, Ben, ben Ben's gone. Anyone? <laughs> Is Ben gone. Ben's gone. All right. Um, I'm back, though. Oh, We've been back. in and out. <laughs> okay. Ben, you were making did, a point. What did we uh, make? Go ahead. Yeah, it was about Rousey not being the worst defender of all time. But, you know, like, some developments were made on his part. Well, so there was a sideline report during today's game that I don't know if either of you caught where the uh, woman that they have um, doing the sideline reports and giving little nuggets throughout the game, said that Andrew Rousey has added a lot of basketball IQ uh, over the last year playing professionally and told the team that in the t- tape of past TBT games he watched, 
the teams that lose beat themselves. So they should try to limit their turnovers. And I was just like, what, where, where has this been? Like, who is this human being that you're describing? Good for him. Positive growth. Yeah. I'm just like, wow, a mature Andrew Rousey. I don't believe it still. Yeah. Anyway, he's been a delight to watch, but bikes and bikes is I'm, I'm pissed. Like I, you guys, I think are both a year younger than me. I, I shouldn't generalize that, but I missed bikes by a year at Marquette and I watch him now and I'm like, Oh man, if he was anything like this in college, I'm kind of pissed. I missed him because he is awesome. On the flip side of that, it makes me sad about how much um, talent didn't go to use when Jamil Wilson was a senior um, because wow, Jamil Wilson. Yeah. Andy and I were bickering about that a bit on Twitter today, just saying how like maybe that team slash coach giving up on that team negatively impacted Jamil. But I also just don't think Jamil to me never really played like a guard at Marquette. And he seems to be doing that once he kind of became that in his pro career. Uh, Cause I remember when he had that cup of coffee with the Clippers and he was starting, um, for them for a little while when they were going through a really weird transition period. He, he really was playing guard and like shooting it a lot and his shot has really come along. So I've been really impressed with how much he's grown as a player since he left Marquette. And he also appears to be a lot stronger, but I'm not quite sure um, how exactly effective he is putting together his pro career he obviously had that unfortunate incident that seems to have kept him out of the nba pretty much since it happened um but you know you'd love to see him get another shot somehow because he's incredibly athletic and talented um and helping going from as much as elgin cook has been awesome going from elgin cook to Jamil Wilson and like having Elgin Cook be able to be a secondary option in that role made that team so much better today. Um, Sarah, I didn't get a chance to watch it. All I know is sort of what I saw on Twitter. So yeah, uh, it was, uh, it was pretty dominant throughout. Um, it was, um, rather they shot rather incredibly well for pretty much the whole game when they almost lost yesterday um they uh really got cold in the fourth quarter and honestly were lucky to win because of a couple of defensive stops including like like a partially blocked layup at the rim that would have immediately ended it and then they won on the next possession but today they were in control throughout and most of it was because of just how good their shooting was um from like start to finish i mean bikes was bikes had like 34 points on 15 shots or something something gross like that and wilson had six threes and rousey would hit a few and Derek hit one i was really excited my hero, Derek Wilson. Yeah. The, I think Derek is, honestly, I think Derek is, is probably the most controversial player um, of like the last 
five to 10 years of market basketball because everyone seems to have like a really strong opinion of whether you really like him or really don't like him as a player because of whatever his limitations were and whatever the like unique ways he contributed were. He's like, to me, he's always seemed, whenever I have a conversation with someone about Derek Wilson, it appears on one or two or either extreme. Um, I'm not sure where you guys fall, but I'm pretty like on the elite eight team. He was just, he had a perfect role because he's on like a, team surrounded by like a lot of talent but then the next year all of a sudden they need guys that can score as evidenced by them scoring 35 points against Ohio State that one time right um and so yeah his like you said his skill set is just so limited and it kind of needs to be in the right situation which yeah kind of sucks but on something like this where He's just free to kind of roam around, facilitate, do what he does. He had so many offensive rebounds, just a smaller guard. Like, yeah. I, I tweeted this out, but they cut to the sideline cancer locker room for, like, their pregame speech or whatever. And you saw, like, little blurbs on the backboard uh, of all the teams with, like, little scouting reports. And for Derek Wilson, it just said, role player, box out, exclamation point, which yeah. is just perfect. Yeah, that's well said. Um, well summarized by that coach. Um, yeah, I was a very, I was never a huge Derek guy um, at Marquette. Um, but again, like like you said, when he can be sort of the complementary role, it's really effective. And he is that on this team because they have so much uh, scoring and shooting talent that he actually like really provides like a change of pace and is really a nice fit in a lot of what that team tries to do and they don't really need a guy that can give them crazy spacing when they have like he, he's obviously probably the least comfortable shooter that they have like even to put it Black, lightly yeah even Blackledge and Charlo are shooting threes more comfortably than he is um but the effort he can bring on defense especially um if he's playing with a, an Acker or a Rousey, who I actually have not, I mean, Acker's pretty solid and Rousey has really upped his defensive effort, but they're both also small and Derek can really offset some of the, what you lose with de- defensively with those guys on the floor. So I don't know. Derek's a perfect fit for what they have him doing, but again, would never, was never a fan of starting point guard, Derek Wilson at Marquette. Except for that filthy, filthy dunk against Georgetown. Wow, what a throwback. That is a, that is a call. It's such a call that I don't even remember it, and maybe I've blocked it out of my memory. No, like, he, like, absolutely posterized this center from Georgetown. Yeah. Like, disgusting. I was in the front row and started screaming expletives about it. I was so, <laughs> like, it was wow. nuts. Like, go, go YouTube that. Just... Derek Wilson dunk Georgetown. Yeah, every, everyone pause the podcast right now. Go look it up on YouTube. Definitely, definitely go look up Derek Wilson highlights. That's a that's a that's a good good shout by us. Um, do you guys want to get into some non alumni related Marquette storylines? Yeah, let's do it. Um, so big one of the week, obviously, is the Justin Lewis news. 
um, rather massive, I would say, um, quite literally with Justin's physical frame. Um, but I don't know if this is the prevailing thought about where Marquette was at, but I was definitely um, concerned that there didn't appear to be a ton of momentum for Marquette and the 2020 recruiting class um, as of maybe two weeks ago. I was sort of starting to feel nervous because as I think Ben Ben Steele has been writing this, that um, the 2020 recruiting class is pretty pivotal. And I was just starting to be like, why is there like no momentum on anybody seemingly? And then the Lewis thing happened really fast. Um, The reports started to come in that Lewis really liked his visit. And then, you know, he didn't even bother to cut down from a list of 10 he'd previously established earlier in the year, which and when like all the crystal ball stuff, which again, crystal balls hit and miss, but it all sort of started to trend towards Marquette. It almost, it was pretty much a lock. I mean, at that point, given, given how quickly it seemed to come together and how much it seemed like everything had quickly trended, which was just an awesome development because I was starting to get really concerned about um, that, uh, that empty recruiting class. So it's a really strong development. Sam, I know you watched a lot of Lewis tape because you admittedly said you weren't totally sure about it going in and you've sort of changed your opinion having watched some to my understanding. Yeah. Um, I mean, my big one at the time was that he just reminded me of stuff we already had on the roster. Right. Um, when I initially started watching some of the film on him, um, you know, he was lanky, athletic. Um, he at the time he wasn't looking like a terribly great shooter, but he didn't look bad. Um, I think the biggest turning point was seeing how. Um, so I watched a few more sets of tape on him, just on whatever I could find on YouTube, and I think um, his he's a natural defender. He's a natural rebounder. He's got he's six eight two twenty. With a seven-one wingspan, which is ridiculous. That's and, nuts. I did not know that. Yeah, and then um, to top it all off, he's finally so- showing like himself being comfortable as a leading scorer. Like he has um, a post-up jumper. He has interior moves. He has a good jump shot. Like he looks comfortable handling the ball um, with either hand and going off a screen. Like. The all-around nature of his scoring ability is something that I didn't see in the earlier film when Marquette was first linked to him um, or when they first offered. But uh, now that I've watched all that, and I mean, just watching him play defense and watching him rebound, I'm already excited for it. And, you know, this team, this staff have proven that they can find ways to turn guys into offensive threats. So... Um, I'm excited to see what he contributes from day one come 2020. Well, you mentioned team and staff. Um, kind of interestingly, um, on another off-season news item, Marquette lost um, Brett Nelson, who became the head coach at um, Holy Cross. And 
I remember at the time thinking that that's unfortunate because Brett had contributed a lot in recruiting. And then I just opened up Lewis's 24-7 page, and it says he was recruited by Dwayne Killings, who is the newer assistant among Marquette's top assistants from the standpoint of newer to the program. Obviously, Jake Prezzuti just got promoted to assist full-time assistant for the first time, but he's been in the program since Wojo came to Marquette. So it's encouraging to see that Killings is apparently picking up the recruiting slack. Um, another note on Lewis is that 24-7 ranked him really highly when he first started um, being ranked, and he had sort of a drop-off for a while. Um where it was, he was a sort of, quick drop, too, yeah. Yeah. He was sort of plummeting into, like, the... Not totally obscurity, but he went down as low as 143 um, about 11 months ago on 24-7's ranking of his class. And he was in the 130-120 range for until um, mid-June which is really encouraging. He's now up to 74, but on June 15th, 24-7 moved him up 53 spots. And he, his most recent update is a little higher than that, but it's encouraging to see Marquette get in at the right time on a guy like that who, whose stock seems to be rising. Um, you hear stuff about him going to play um, for USA Basketball, um, and it just seems like that's a really, really important start, both for Marquette's recruiting class in 2020, but also the kind of player that they were able to bring in because does somebody not have their headphones on? No, I do. Thank you. I just heard a door. <laughs> no, that was just my chair and I'm using a better oh. microphone than you plebeians. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> I was like, what is that sound? I keep hearing like I keep hearing you typing and stuff. Never mind. Someone new has entered into the conversation and it's Forgive. I don't know, the ghost of Dwayne Wade or something. Yeah. Dwayne Wade playing TBT. Don't do, do it, it, you coward. Do it, coward. <laughs> do it, oh, coward. Real quick thing about TBT. I just thought of this watching the game today. But right after graduation. There is a non-zero chance that Marcus Howard could be on the team next year if he is not able to rise his NBA stock to the point where he's getting drafted. So, Much in the same way that Ethan Happ played for the Wisconsin team this year. Fun fact. And Ethan, then lost immediately. Well, Ethan Happ did not actually play. Um, he was inactive. Um, oh, really? I did not, I he was did on not the roster. The no, I didn't either. But he was on the roster and inactive. Um, okay. He had he had just signed like the day before they played with Olympiakos, I believe. I think it was the team that Rick Pitino coached in Greece this past year. Oh, he, good. He had just signed with that team right before, so I think that's probably why he didn't play. Um, but no, they. Uh, that Wisconsin team was weird because they advertised a lot of like really high quality guys, but then happened Hayes ended up not playing 
that first weekend. And I don't know if it was like a Jamil situation where obviously Jamil just like missed it because he had a wedding to go to. It wasn't like he had a contract that he was sitting out for. But yeah, that, that was kind of bizarre. But on the Marcus Howard note, I was randomly on one of those like early mock draft things for 2020 because uh, I had a conversation with my brother who told me that LaMelo Ball is a lock lottery pick. And I was like, are you kidding me? And then I looked it up <laughs> and LaMelo Ball is suddenly being regarded as a lock lottery pick. Like, I don't know how I, how I missed that, but you know that nbadraft.net website, which is kind of like, I'm not totally sure how, to, how much to trust it, but they just 100% always have a 60-pick mock draft just sitting there <laughs> the second you go to it, so it's super convenient. They had LaMelo Ball at four. I was like, what? what? That is absurd. But apparently he's grown like five inches, and he's like been dominating, uh, I think it was the Drew League. Uh, and so anyway, LaMelo Ball is apparently a legit lottery pick now, even though he's going to Australia for a season, because if the NCAA had allowed him to be eligible, that there would have been significant concerns. <laughs> um, but uh, no, that same NBA draft.net had Marcus at 47, I believe. Okay. So my thought is that Marcus will have a good season and make that number go up. And yeah, I mean, I figure he'll either get drafted or sign somewhere very quickly, but my mouth just started watering at the prospect of him just pulling up from anywhere, but then the water quickly went away when I realized that Andrew Rousey will also likely be on the team. And <laughs> I was so we'll say. get a very nice throwback of the 2018 season. Yeah, I was going to say, the, the one thing that would make me not optimistic to watch Marcus Howard on TBT is to have to watch Rousey and Howard play together again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that probably wouldn't be the greatest thing ever, but seeing them just rain buckets from everywhere would be just so beautiful. In an ideal world, it would be. But we saw yes. how that worked out on, in practice. Yes. But they, the team does overall defend well for TBT, so they could maybe make up for some of it, and maybe also Joe Chapman would realize that playing them both together isn't the greatest thing in the world, at least not for the majority of the time like Wojo was wont to do. Yeah, well, he's doing a nice job varying Acker and Rousey, I think. Rousey's, like, oh, yeah. Rousey's been playing a really perfect role because he'll just like come in off the bench and just be a heater with so they can get bikes some rest or mm -hmm. you know whoever and he'll just come in and be uh, a really uh important factor so that's always good um sam do you want to talk about samir torrance what about him i mean are we just are we transitioning to the new guys now is that what we're doing well so i think what what i wanted to get to with the samir torrance point was that since we last conversed um, podcastly, um, which is a word I just made up. Um, Great word. Greg Elliott has suffered yet another serious injury. Um, he broke his ankle, correct? Am I correct in It's a lower leg, I believe it's an ankle injury. Um, yeah. And given the timeline and, he, and the fact that he had surgery, he likely either damaged ligaments or 
broke it in some form of severity. Yeah, he's. I think he's looking to get back by the time the season starts, but right. just wrap him in bubble wrap, please. Correct. And so that, I think when the injury initially happened and the three to four months, which by the way is a extremely vague timeline, um, when, that was, when that was set out, um, the projection was somewhere around October, which is obviously in time enough for the season but it's the same sort of concern that kept Greg or that led to Greg being redshirted last season was mm-hmm. that he wasn't go it was going to take him so much time to get into the rotation that it wouldn't be worth it to have him play and the reason I bring up Samir Torrance Sam is my thought and I think your thought based on a conversation we had recently was is that Samir Torrance has passed Greg on the depth chart or will by the time Greg is even ready to come back. And I think, based on that weird whiteboard uh, sleuthing that someone did and then Paint Touches picked up on, the plan was originally to redshirt Samir, but I think Samir has looked good in you know snippets that Marquette has released, and it seems like especially if Greg is an injury question mark coming in that Samir could contribute right away in a uh, guard depth role. Um, I mean, I think Samir Torrance is the future of Mark. Obviously he is the future of Mark at basketball only being a freshman. Right. But like, I think that he will quickly take on a, a much more prominent role than most people will give him credit for. Um, at least initially, I mean, yeah, the Greg Elliott injury certainly does increase the likelihood that Samir gets a lot of minutes and probably doesn't get redshirted um, for the first series with Marquette. But um, just his overall ability, um, I mean, he's kind of like Kobe McEwen in that he's lanky, he's long, he's super athletic, can score from basically anywhere. Um, you know, like, I, I don't see him and Greg Elliott fulfilling the same role on the team. Um, so, uh, you know, Greg being more of uh, a car anum type defensive player first with offensive ability and athleticism um, length on the perimeter as well. Um, Samir being a much more offensive focused player. So I think that they were going to always split minutes just because of their, the two different play styles they have. Um, I, I think if we had to bet money on anybody redshirting from this team, it would be Dexter Acano. Um, yeah, I, I just don't see a, a world where, especially if Greg comes back healthy, I don't see a world where Dexter gets a lot of minutes that first year. And so if all those signs show Greg Elliott being healthy enough um, come the start of the season and ready to contribute to what should be a fringe top 25 team, maybe a little bit better, maybe a little bit worse, we're not really sure. But um, I think if that's where, if Greg Elliott is ready for the start of the season, that's where you look at Dexter Connell and go sort of like they did with Sakar Anum, say you're a longer term project. Um, I mean, Dexter Connell has shown that he could be an elite on-ball defender um, with some work. Um, I I haven't seen the offensive ability um, from him yet, but I'm sure it would 
grow in time, just like it'll do with Justin Lewis when he gets here in 2020. Um, so I think that of the people you could potentially redshirt this year, Dexter Ocano is probably the one that makes the most sense. Yeah, I agree. Uh, especially when you look at it, not just from a body standpoint, but from how much Marcus and Kobe will likely play. Um, if Greg Elliott is fully healthy, you don't really need a sixth guard, especially if Sakar is who I'm counting as the other guy in there. So you'd have, if Greg was healthy, you'd have Sakar, um, Samir, and Greg on top of um, Marcus and Kobe. And while Sakar will play some three um, and probably start at the three, um, I, don't, I don't really think there's a need to just trot a guy like Dexter, who's not a super highly regarded prospect, but is definitely, like you said, a long-term project who's impressed with his defensive abilities. It doesn't really make a lot of sense for him to just trot out and play four minutes a game or whatever he might play. Now it's a different scenario if Greg Elliott struggles to come back. And I really honestly don't think like you said, Ben, put him in bubble wrap. I'm not sure it's possible to count on Greg Elliott for, I don't know, literally anything just because of how often he seems to get hurt in a myriad of different ways. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I don't think there's much of a role for a defense-first, um, long-term prospect kind of guard, especially when you can bank a year and – have them develop some more and maybe be more ready to uh, contribute once Marcus and Sakar move on. Um, I don't know. Any other sort of roster storylines you guys are interested in? There's Eric Gebhardt's favorite player, Jace Johnson. Yeah, um, Jace Johnson, who, as we brought up uh, Bartovic, which is the only website I know that is currently projecting 2020 um, contributions at this point. Um, Jace Johnson is viewed favorably on that website, which is good because I think a lot of the general perception of him on Marquette Twitter is why did we need a giant slow white guy? Uh, I, I, I am the main proponent of that line of thinking. So you can just call me out if you want. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I think I, I've seen that from far too many people to single out just yeah, you yeah, as yeah. someone with that opinion. Um, but yeah, do we want to talk about, um, how excited we are to see Ed Morrow play some four? I just, (laughs) so yeah, I, I mean, I was on the same thought process as Ben, where it just considering the roster construction, considering who had left, considering how the team would have to play differently. I know that we discussed when the Housers transferred, um, Marquette having to probably play a lot more on the fast break, play with a lot more athleticism, play with a lot more tempo. Um, you know, I think that we found a guy that's pretty an- anti. How do I even say that word? It's, he's like the anti, the anti get for that style of play. And so at the time, it was like, what in the world? Um, but here we are. Um, I, you know, I guess that does mean we'll see Ed Morrow at the four. I do know that he left Nebraska because he really didn't want to play center. Um, right. So, 
you know, it's 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 certainly interesting. I don't think this will push Theo John or Ed Morrow minutes away at all. Um, I I do think that Ed Morrow will play more of the four at this point. I don't think Ed Morrow will start at the four. Um, But I just, I don't know. I think that the way I had envisioned this team evolving after the departure of the Housers didn't really involve a true back to the back or back to the basket seven footer center. So it was, it was wild. Um, My main thought also with the potential Ed Morrow at the four thing, like in a vacuum, I wouldn't even like it that much, but it's exploded times 10 when you look at like the guys that are playing the quote unquote four position around like the big East, like Creighton has six, five Mitch Ballack playing the four sometimes like is Ed Morrow going to be extending the floor to try and block Mitch Ballack? Is he going to try and get on, I don't know, Demir Cosby Roundry for Villanova or Sadiq Bay? One that or... horrifies me the most is Alpha Diallo from Providence. Ooh, ooh, yikes. Yeah, that's a that's a big one. Yeah. The only one that I could reasonably see as like a good matchup for him is like Najee Marshall from Xavier. And he even he will step out, albeit too much, but he can step out and try and shoot it or drive it. So... If that is a lineup that ha- like I think that Jace Johnson can have like a role on the team as maybe not quite as glued to the bench as Matt Help, but like someone to provide like a little bit of a spark or a little bit of a foul trouble cushion for John and Morrow. But if it's getting to a point where Ed Morrow's gonna be playing a lot of the four position, I just don't see how that works out in Big East play. Yeah, I don't either, especially with that trend of the fours being more traditional or true wing players now instead of two bigs one wing player and two guards um yeah and you know we can talk about how ed morrow's shot may have improved and we can talk about um him being a natural athlete sure but i yeah i don't i just don't see how the ed morrow at the four experiment's going to work i guess the one thing you could say is there doesn't really appear to be a four really on this roster. Like if you had to like quickly put one of five numbers on every player, I don't think you would give any of them a four. So that's kind of part of the thinking I would imagine if you have to play devil's advocate as to why, especially when you have three guys that you would assign a five. Um, I mean, do we even know what position um, Ike Eke is? I mean, I guess he's a center. Uh, he wasn't really a shooter when he played. Yeah. I, he was a true center. I almost um, think like you could make an argument that he would be a four. Now, again, Ike Eke, if, if I'm saying I don't think you can rely on Greg Elliott for anything in particular because of his health history, Ike Eke is that times 10. Um, but... If you're looking at him, he seems to be a very athletic individual that maybe isn't truly a center either. I don't know. I'm, I'm just spitballing. And we don't know because we've never seen him play. So it's hard, hard to say. But yeah. Also I, on the I, bench, I think he wears the exact same shirt every game. I might be wrong, but he's got like the Marquette blue collared shirt with like the top button always buttoned and like a little bit of a chain around his neck and i think he wears that every single time 
please someone go through video of every single Marquette game and give me a run through of what Ikeke is wearing because I think I'm right on this one. Well, one thing you can say about Ike Eke, if there's been one thing he's been able to really work on and refine in his time at Marquette, it's been his sideline attire because that has been his primary focus as a player since he's been mm-hmm. largely unable to do anything physically. So and he, he's also big on uh, like if Marcus Howard makes a big three and the other team calls a timeout, he's always the first guy to like greet whoever the guy to force the timeout was. Like, give him a big chest bump or something like that. So he's got a role on this team. High character guy. I mean, you, you got to be. Like, if you're if you're going to take up a scholarship for two years and not play a single minute, you've got to – you probably have no choice but to be, like, a very supportive teammate. Otherwise, like, what's the purpose of having you around? I mean, I, I, I really would like to see him be able to play – um, at some point but uh, yeah all accounts he's a really high spirit high character kind of guy that at least if he's not able to contribute physically can contribute in some other way but would like he donated all those shoes and like a whole ass court to a village in africa that i think he is from i truly could not tell you the name of it but it was also a very nice thing that he did so that needs to be pointed out as well yeah i mean uh, again would love to see him on the court. Yes. Um, um, do we want to get into mailbag questions? Do we have any more for um, what we've been talking about? The kind of storylines? I don't know. Sam, what's uh, I mean, happening? What am I so we're touched? probably going to talk the non-conference schedule later. Um, oh, yeah. So, so, well, we're, we'll talk that in a future podcast. I sure. Think. Um, Wait, I've got a topic. We have not touched on UConn. Oh, oh. there we go. Yeah, good idea. UConn, uh, hello. UConn. <laughs> um, I. <sighs> it's fine. It's whatever. Yeah, that's my opinion too. Because I'm not actually really excited about it from a standpoint of like, hell yeah, UConn's back. All right. It just seems like it's not a deal that it's not a fr- it's not a fan base that i have particularly positive opinions about oh and it God. feels like we extended them an olive branch that we didn't need to extend them Correct. as a conference and it doesn't seem like there's any real benefit for the big east other than look yukon's back and yep. they refuse to figure out their god awful football situation and it doesn't seem like anything positive is really coming of it besides just the nostalgia and reunion and the sort of satisfying of the people that talk about the big east like it's some sort of mass massively diminished entity of what it once was and we can point to them and be like look we got these guys back it's like it's it's not because they're not anywhere near where they need to be as a program um now they have a probably a good coach in place that can get them back there but at the same time it's like i don't know the financial details where they didn't really seem to make any concession to rejoin the big east and they will just continue to cut into they will they split the uh conference revenue by one additional share it, i don't really get why this was such a great thing for the conference. I will say that uh, 
with regards like they did sort of make a pretty big concession with uh Val Ackerman saying basically you are not allowed to join a big your football team is not allowed to join one of the big conferences and if you do leave us for football somewhere else it's like I don't know 25 million dollars or something like that so there is yeah there is that cushion okay but it it can't go terribly wrong but you know what I'm gonna say though is like who the hell wants UConn football correct it's not like people are banging on their door like asking them to come play football in their conference their freaking program is terrible but they're so desperate to get it to work for whatever damn reason that like it would be something that they would do and so good on the big east powers that be to prevent that from happening but also could we have at least waited for you kind of make an nit tournament in order to beg for them to come back like i don't know yeah and and it was like what was rothstein's tweet like the 2020 Big East Conf- or Championship at Madison Square Garden will have its mojo back with UConn there. And it's like, yeah, really yeah, excited. in my eyes. Yeah, really excited to see the uh, American Conference uh, nine seed spike up <laughs> current product in 2020. Like, you, mean, you, mean, you mean that event that we have consistently sold out as a conference, um, even yeah, without you- UConn? And- right the event that has provided us with two of the last four national champions, you know, wild stuff, wild stuff. Yeah, I just, it's so. Well, we can also beat Rothstein's tweets over the head with like a sledgehammer and they'll still never be good. (laughs) Well, right. It's just frustrating that a mainstream college basketball person would have that mindset about the Big East, regardless of whether it's one that is continually, ridiculed or not because as much as Rothstein is basically a joke to any reasonable college basketball fan in the know he's also extremely he's probably one of like the 10 highest paid college basketball personalities there are and he's extremely like well supported by at least two or three different reputable media entities so he's like he's viewed you know regardless of whether he's a complete dork on twitter like he's viewed as like a very you know influential figure and for him to just hand wave the big east like that and i I think seth davis does it too but in seth davis is you know a lot of the same ridicule kind of stuff from a number of corners but it's just frustrating that, you know, if you really look at it, bringing UConn back isn't this amazing, like, whoa, the Big East is legit again. And it's just frustrating that that opinion, which is extremely lazy, is being perpetuated, especially. And it especially frustrates me because UConn fans are not the most humble individuals and i am based- so not excited to get just mountains of trash talk from people that are just trying to take a break from giving their four-year-old daughter xanax or something like that like my god <laughs> wow that's a, go that's back to your suburban paradise that's a connecticut take right there um that uh yeah and it's like these people aren't like very realistic 
humans about their situation. And we've basically given them an olive branch as a conference by which they can justify, look how important we are. You bailed us out and needed us. And it's like, you needed us. And for some reason, as a conference, we decided to bail you out and make it look like we needed you. It's just, yep. it's just really frustrating in that regard because I would have, I, it, it just, it adds to the, the narrative of the Big East is an immensely diminished entity. And it's just like, it's not, it's really fun to watch still. And it's going to be, and even if last year the conference struggled in a lot of different ways, it's going to be much better this year. And we didn't need to, you know, UConn is, you, when is UConn? The year after this upcoming season? Correct. Yes. Yeah. We didn't need that. Like it would have been fine. Like, Honestly, if you're going to bring in UConn, send DePaul to Conference USA. Ooh. Yeah. Exile DePaul I mean, I immediately. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean. Remember when Dave Latow got suspended for three games? Yeah. Yeah, three games. <laughs> when that happened, like, five days ago or whatever it was? Yeah, I do remember that. You're, hearing, was, yeah. De- you're hearing DePaul more and more. <laughs> yeah. It's, the word on the street is DePaul. Um. I'm trying to find DePaul in the in the Bartovic projections just to see how bad. Scroll it is. down; that might get you there. Oh, one of one oh seven. That's about where they're they always at around like the one hundred mark exactly. Like credit them for their own consistency at least. Well, the good thing is they're going to be better than St. John's this year, maybe. St. <laughs> John's. UConn. Yeah. Well, again, maybe, but St. John's is definitely going to struggle just because of their everything completely been gutted and it's kind of terrifying yeah although mike anderson mike anderson was a good hire i think that they're gonna be doing good things so are you you referring to ike manderson (laughs) i believe i am yes we're talking about the same person yeah um yeah Um, 40 minutes of hell that was that's his uh big thing so if you liked their crazy let's just play the least version of basketball version of basketball possible edition of their team when they had Chris Mullen. Um, get ready for a lot more of that, essentially. Well, they're going to need to because they are going to be super talent deficient this year. Like the, the conference comparatively is going to be so much deeper and more talented than them. Like even Mustafa Heron, honestly. <laughs> yeah, he's stuck there. That's pretty brutal. Yeah. Uh, now imagine maybe. transferring away to play with Shamori Pons and Justin Simon and then have them both abandon you and leave you with whatever he's got at St. John's. Stuck. Yeah, and you didn't while have the while the team year. that you transferred from went to a final four. Correct. Right. That you could have been a part of and could have elevated them to a championship. It's a really tough look all around for Mustafa Heron, but um we wish him the best, I suppose. He was maybe yeah. like the fourth most annoying St. John's player this past year. So I don't have a ton of ill will for him that I do towards, say, a Justin Simon. Or LJ Figueroa, who, like, for whatever reason, I don't think ever missed a three-pointer against us last year. Well, Justin Simon was, like, driving and then, like, exaggeratedly bowing to the crowd against us. So that was I like, I do remember that. Yeah, that yeah. was, uh, that was something that was where I kind of ran out of, uh, positive emotions for him for <laughs> sure. 
Um, anything else we want to talk about until we get into the mailbag? Sam, did you start to say you had a point that was not UConn related before Ben correctly barged in with UConn? Helped us talk about something we definitely needed to talk about. No, I didn't. I was actually just pulling up the mailbag questions on my phone. Yeah, I was just about to do that as well. Actually, I did. But um, 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 yeah, we got a few interesting ones, I suppose. Um, um, I was yeah, just surprised say, that any readers reached out to us because no one wants Marquette basketball coverage. Yeah, it's yeah. What, a, what, a, what a weird concept that basketball, regardless of what time of year, has people interested in it. It's a to fill you, the listener, in if you are not involved on Marquette Twitter, which is basically all but like 20 of you. Uh, yeah. I don't know how the... else you access this podcast if you're not on Marquette Twitter. <laughs> uh, the athletic writer representing the state of Wisconsin uh, made the point that, well, because Paint Touches asked, hey, why do you only write about Marquette basketball once like every other month? And he was like, because no one cares. And then he got ratioed to high heavens with people that care and were offering up their services, myself included. Hire me, you cowards. Yeah. Let, let, let Sam and Ben write for The Athletic in Wisconsin. Ooh. Yeah. We could, like, tag team a bunch of articles. There'd be, like, a lot of swear hire, words. Hi, hire Patrick and bring him back to Milwaukee. True. That, yeah, that too, yeah. I'd be cool with that as well. Um, um, well, that, that does lead into the first question. Um, MNMU Sox fan asked, who wins in a fist fight, Sam or Jeff um, Mailit, which is the athletic Wisconsin editor we were just discussing. Um, the answer is me. I win in round one because I fight dirty. Otherwise, I'm a wimp. <laughs> well so, said. So Sam in round one by dirty takedown. Sam. Just a lot of biting. Yeah, I was going to say, is eye gouging involved I, I, I Yeah, eye, eye gouging, nut shots, everything's on the table here. Bring, bring a knife to the fist fight. <laughs> wow, that's, that's, that's aggressive. Note, note to everyone who listens, Sam fights dirty. <laughs> um, um, so go ahead. The, let's do some less silly ones. Yes. Um, so we, we got asked um, by Paint Touches, actually... Um, are all decade teams for Marquette? Probably should have prepared for this one a little bit more. Um, I mean, I, yeah. know, I, I know my five. Okay, guys. go with your five. I just need to see like who was on the team in 2010, and then like where I need to go from there. It, yeah, the the hardest one is actually trying to parse out who you want from those 2010 through 2013 rosters. Right. Um, because I think that it's pretty obvious. Um, I'm going to take Jay Crowder. I'm going to take Jimmy Butler. I'm going to take Marcus Howard. Um, wow. And then in the slightly more difficult ones for me to pick, um, I'm taking uh, – God, it's just, it's just so difficult to think about. But, like, I'm taking uh, Henry Allenson. Ooh. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. And then um, – He had I'm a take, really good season. And then I'm taking in another controversial one, considering who else is still on the table, um, I'm taking Vander Blue. Okay. No, I'm good. I kind of like that pick. Yeah, I'm good with that. Um, the the Henry Ellenson like ooh really ones have me intrigued as to your thoughts. Yeah, I just Henry Henry was like a very talented player and a very uh, had a very good season, 
but I never felt like Henry really helped the players around him much. And maybe I'm just, I don't know. That was a bad season though. So I think um, to justify it, I will point out that I picked a point guard, a shooting guard, two wings and um, a big, a big man. I know Henry Ellison is, it wasn't a traditional center, but I did try and at least fill some like, right. like, like some traditional roles. Um, and we I mean, yeah, appreciate just, that you did that. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think that like, it's hard to capture just how good Henry Ellison was because the rest of that team wasn't, <laughs> um, yeah. or just wasn't there yet. And that's why I think that, uh, that, that is probably the, the most controversial of my five. I would think I, I know that some people will say Lazar Hayward, um, so uh, only one year in the decade, I think you're okay to exclude him. I would say some people say that DJO should be in over Vander Blue, which is yeah, that's a legit you know debate we could have. But as I'm as I'm forming my opinion, I'm starting to lean in that direction, but I have not fully decided yet. Sure. Um, okay, I am definitely going to agree with you on Marcus Howard. Who? Um, yeah, the quiet you, <laughs> the, the kid with the hair. Oh, okay. um, yeah, Marcus Howard for sure. Um, he's gonna obviously break the uh, a career record in like the second game this upcoming year. So it's kind of hard to argue with the career he's put together. Um, I'll take Jay Crowder at the three as well. Um, I am a Big Devonte Gardner fan, so I'm putting Devonte Gardner at the five, and will not okay. hear, and will not hear anything to the contrary there. Okay, um, I, I'm, I'm just just no no argument from me there. I just think Devonte has to be included. Uh, the question of DJO or Vander or Jimmy is an interesting one. Um, Jimmy had a good college career that was only two seasons. Um, Vander and DJO both played three. Um, I don't admittedly have a lot of watching experience with Jimmy, um, as a Marquette player, and it's possible that my having watched a season of DJO may give him the upper hand, um, but... I will save that for last. I'm gonna take. I'm putting Sam Hauser at the four. Ooh, all right. I'm staking out, staking out my territory. Sam Hauser is like one of my favorite players I've ever watched at Marquette. Just from may he rest in peace. Yeah, may God rest his soul. Um, and by God, I mean Tony Bennett. Um, <laughs> Same thing. Yeah, Bas- college basketball, Jesus, Tony Bennett, may you may you take good care of our dearest Sam. Um, and I'm going to go with DJO because he played three years and was on multiple Sweet 16 teams. How about that? How about That's that? Fair. Sorry, Jimmy. You're a great pro. You'll, uh, you'll survive. Oh, no, Jimmy. Jimmy Butler, mad at the Anonymous Eagle podcast for not including him on the all-decade team. Jimmy Butler snubbed for Darius Johnson Odom. What a shame. How, how will he ever get over it with the max contract he just signed with the Miami Heat? 
Ben, you have any you have any other players you think are worthy of inclusion or? Yeah, my starting five is actually a lot different from yours. Oh, um, that's a shock. Yeah, so I'm going my starting center. I'm going to go uh, Yusufa Mbao. Uh, <laughs> he played in ten games in 2010 as a freshman from Senegal. Seven foot two. You got to have that size. He was. Um, I think he was kind of like a. And I'm not 100 percent on this, but based on sort of some of the older slightly older marquette twitter folks that i have interacted with in the past i think he was kind of a a uh oh what's the word i'm looking for like a cult cult hero kind cult of hero yeah yeah but um i yeah well i mean I he's on my all decade team so clearly <laughs> it all panned out um i'm also gonna go jamal ferguson yeah you remember him yeah he transferred to north carolina central and was terrible after yeah just so bad uh offensive rating of 86 oh no only played in 15 games oh wow that's tough oh no yeah uh made 57 percent of his free throws um next i'm gonna go Dion franklin i have no idea what happened to him after that one year oh wait no um was he the guy that he was scouted from like an intramural team at like texas a&m or something Yes. Yeah, that guy. Wonder what happened to him. Uh, he plays in, like, Italy or something. You know, good for him. Positive development for all of us. He took two total shots in 2017. Um, also going to go Jamail Jones. He, yeah, he played for two years, was somewhat was of a actually, bench warmer. He was decent for Dunk City. Yeah, yeah, he was on uh, FGCU, yeah. Early he Dunk played, City games. Yeah, he played some decent minutes for them. Um, and then uh, finally, I'll go the MVP of last year, Joseph Chartuni. That, that, no, no, bringing up Chartuni, while, while, while I understand the bit you're doing here, um, there, one of the questions that was followed up to the Paint Touches question was your never lived up to potential and pleasant surprise teams. Um, know which one Chartuni falls on for that. Uh, um, yeah. I don't know. I also think we grossly overrated his potential, though. Well, yes, but... Like, d- did he not I, live up to his potential, or did we just decide he had a lot more potential than he did? I think I think it, it it's a worthy inclusion, because we probably gave him too much credit. Um, However, if you say his name to the tune of Eleanor Rigby, it, like, sounds cool, <laughs> so... <laughs> That's what a stupid observation that is. <laughs> Very dumb. Uh, uh, pleasant surprise team. Um, shout out Matt Carlino. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's that's a good inclusion for for one year of like, holy crap, we just need somebody who can actually put the ball in the bucket. He was very competent in doing exactly that. Hit a buzzer beater. Hit a buzzer beater to beat Creighton. Take that world. <laughs> I'm trying to think like of a guy that came in that I was I wasn't expecting a lot from and that put it together. Oh, you know, Devonte Gardner is probably the all-time pleasant. Yeah, I was gonna guy. say like pretty much yeah. every single junior college transfer that buzz guy. Like you don't yeah. expect anything out of them, so you can and, make the whole squad out of those guys. Yeah, he killed it. No, but Devonte, I mean, like 
what was like 350 pounds when he showed up on campus and like yeah. became like an offensive wizard. It's automatic. Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know if you can nominate a guy who's more more of a project who came to fruition. Um, Low key, uh, Luke Fisher. Also, I remember when we got the transfer yeah. news about him from Indiana, and I I mean, at least for me, I was just kind of like, cool. He was like, uh, I guess, like, I guess, yeah. He was pretty frustrating. Um, On defense, he was very frustrating, but his uh, a lot of his post moves just. Yeah, really made my yeah. heart flutter. Yeah, I, I think if he had played on a team that was better overall, he may have been thought of more positively. He did also kind of have to do a lot of bailouts for when Jawan Johnson would try and go for a steal and end up in Madison, basically recovering well, his, from that and letting all those drivers get through. His first season was the eight strong season, which was such a like that team didn't have a big guy before he became eligible basically and so he had to like assume such a massive role yeah remember when like Juan Anderson was playing center yeah like Deontay Burton was playing center oh wow yeah shout out to him he's probably uh, all didn't live up to expectations but only because he did it elsewhere and not at Marquette I watched so many Iowa State games with like him and also like Jameel McKay and just Fred Hoyberg poached so many awesome guys from our teams. Yeah. Um, I'm mad. I'm just mad now. <laughs> Marquette, Marquette, uh, Marquette West. Yeah. Marquette West. Sorry. I was trying to think of what direction Iowa was from Wisconsin. Yeah. yeah. Um, you, know, you know, you're not from the Midwest originally when. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, I'm not living in the Midwest anymore when. Yeah, you coastal um, elites you make me yeah. sick. Sorry about that. Um, uh, trying to think more. Is there anybody else in this category? Well, so well, I don't want to say this because I love Juwan Johnson, um, but I think the hype around Juwan Johnson wasn't he like Buzz's highest ever recruit? Maybe Vander was higher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was. He was definitely top one hundred guy. He was like, was like forty. Yeah, he was right in there and. I loved Juwan Johnson's career for what it was because I actually think he was just he was just an awesome like chemistry guy and his steals were insane like his steals rate when when he mm-hmm. just set that up and but I also think that a lot of what was expected from him initially was to become sort of an offense carrying star player that he never really turned into but I will never be disappointed with Juwan Johnson's career because once it became clear like what kind of player he was he excelled in mm-hmm. the role that he was in but I, I guess you could say if you're looking at like his recruiting pedigree to what he actually ended up producing as a player there could be a conversation had about was he did he actually live up to expectations mm-hmm. there's also there's and, also i was gonna say no, no notably the brother of oj todd mayo Ooh, yeah. oh that's a good one for just like all of the potential and all of the ability you know he had and then it never turned into or like it only like randomly like like came out in bursts versus never. actually never fun showed fact. an ability to be a team leader but no anyway. quick fun fact about Juwan Johnson he and I were in the same freshman orientation group in 2013 so that's powerful yeah, but, yeah I'm, glad, I'm glad I have a platform to get that type of message across 
<laughs> Proud of you. Um, so I guess moving on really quick um, to some less serious ones. Um, we have in the event of a from, from uh, anonymous eagle contributor Sebastian Becerra. In the event of a zombie apocalypse, which college basketball arena would you make your last stand? Wintrust. No one's going to be there. Ooh. Yeah. It's good. I don't um, know the name of it, but wherever the University of Alaska plays. That's a good idea. Yeah, I don't get why all, like, in these zombie shows, like, the sanctuary cities are in warm places. It's like, the whole point of, like, being undead is that you probably can't really regulate your body temperature that well. So if you go to like Northern Canada or something like that, like they're going to be frozen. They have no way to regulate themselves and they'll just freeze up and then you're good. I'm just impressed that you just tried to talk to us about the whole point of being undead as if that was like a definite thing that is like discussed philosophically. Are we doing like walking dead type zombies where they're just like kind of, roaming around or are we doing world war z type zombies where they're basically superhumans climbing up walls in israel to kill brad pitt i'm i'm is that a spoiler alert (laughs) if if you've been dying to see world war z for the last six years no and have been avoiding spoilers for this long then honestly good on you we 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 had a long talk about your priorities in life by the way, by the way, speaking of Brad Pitt, if I w- I will not provide any Once Upon a Time in Hollywood spoilers, but Brad Pitt's character in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is like one of my favorite cinematic characters from like the last I don't even know five years, decade. It's I wanted to make it to that movie today, but I didn't have enough time before the Marquette game, so I settled for Inglorious Bastards on Netflix. So. I got Brad Pitt in a Tarantino movie at some point this weekend. It's it's a very different kind of character than his Inglourious Bastards character, but it's still just, it is just the best character. He is incredible. Um, Anyway, brief tangent. Um, Can we do the, can we we do the, uh, the FMK for uh, the the coaches? Because You you want to do that one? Well, that one, I just think like the answer is like very like clear that yeah. like you have to marry Tom Crean and then decide like would you rather have a dalliance with Wojo or Buzz <laughs> it's it's like cuz it's very clear like Tom Crean is the guy you go with long term because he's you know a committed program builder kind of guy you know even though he left Marquette for Indiana i mean i don't think you can really blame him and and Buzz is obviously not one that commits as a coach um, yeah, that's so, a one night stand. Yeah, and then the question is like, would you rather? Too sweaty though. <laughs> <laughs> would you? Would Let you rather? Would you rather have a brief period of time with Wojo or Buzz? And I, 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 I Wojo's I, a good looking guy. Like honestly, like, <laughs> this is not how we're evaluating this question, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Evaluating it from their coaching <laughs> and their ability. I mean, that's a part coach. of it. Like sometimes you're an opponent and you just kind of get lost in his eyes. I don't know. <laughs> I think rather clearly that from a coaching standpoint, you'd want to be long-term committed to Kareem. 
briefly committed to Buzz because he likes to hop around every four or five seasons. And, you know, we're not sure whether being committed to Wojo for any period of time is a necessary positive after five years of being in that relationship. So I think it's very clear, and the answer is very funny to evaluate from that standpoint, Ben. Yeah, I'm going yeah. for the whole person here, Kira Personalis. <laughs> <laughs> that is like a not appropriate way to use that Jesuit value. <laughs> <laughs> I just have them stopped cackling. <laughs> Conversation has really has really evolved into into oddness here. I would say. All right, so um, I'm gonna back I'm gonna back this up. Um, get us a, navigate us away from these dangerous waters, um, and I uh, I don't know how big of Marvel fans you yeah, guys are. I was gonna are. say, just Sam, talk about the MCU for the next five minutes. So yeah, this is where I kind of have to step out because I'm nowhere near the fan of MCU as every single person on Mark at Twitter is. Thank you. Um, so Joe McCann, um, of the Scrambled Eggs podcast, uh, asked putting together a starting five with MCU characters, um. Point guard is Doctor Strange. He can see all the possibilities, all the outcomes. Um, for your like lead scorer, for your like carry the team person um, at shooting guard, uh, we're taking Iron Man. Okay. Um, for the the athleticism, um, the mobility, his ability to play defense, um, we're going to take Spider Man at the three, even though he's wow, interesting. He's generally considered as a shorter uh, right, person. Undersized three. Undersized three. Um, The four is actually, like, the hardest one to um, pick. Um, I'm going to need to stick with my beloved Sam Hauser-esque player here where we have a a sharpshooter and a scorer um, from distance, um, and I'm taking Hawkeye at the four, sort of a a stretch four. And then just because he's the person or the character that most resembles Theo, John, or taking the Hulk at five. (laughs) I'm I'm like shocked as 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 seriously I, as I can take this that you didn't include Thor, but eh, you know, but like how many how many basketball players really need the ability to shoot lightning out of their hands? Well, I mean, I just think he's like the most powerful Avenger, so wouldn't you want the most powerful Avenger? Well, no, according according to Tony Stark and Thor Ragnarok, um, the most powerful Avenger is actually Hulk. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> uh, no. Moving on. Um, I knew you were going to include Hulk, though, because of um, because Theo John is yes. Hulk. So I knew I like I I saw that coming like a mile away. Who's like the X Factor off the bench, though? The X Factor off the bench. Um, man, uh, I didn't put in that much thought. Um, probably somebody like like Ant Man. Yeah, I was gonna say Ant Man could be a fun one. Just the ability to change size and therefore guard all the way up and down um, yeah. the lineup, and then really useful reserve. Yeah. Um. Then the the the, the mothership account asked me to rank the Phase Four Marvel movies um, by my level of excitement. Um. Did so you actually do that. Maybe. <laughs> I was gonna say, can you do that in a way that's like. <laughs> Never mind, uh, just go ahead. <laughs> so at the bottom at the bottom of it um is the uh Shang-Chi and Legend of the Ten Rings. I'm still excited. It's uh it's a really good earth-based hero. And um <laughs> Oh my god. Shut up. Let me have my moment. 
Um, but and we actually get to see the Mandarin um, as a real villain instead of the fake one they used in Iron Man three. Um, but I just I don't have a lot of connection to that character. Uh, it's not one that I read a lot um, as a kid. Um, at four, or so, so there are five listed movies. Okay. Right now. Thank at God. four is the Black Widow movie. Um, I just think that like after the uh, Endgame spoiler alert. No, no, I am. I still haven't watched it. Please don't give it to me. What? Are you? Even I've seen me? it. No, I, I haven't. You can't just say the Black say Widow. You... The Black Widow character it just never was one of my favorites, and um, based upon the events of Endgame, I just don't see a lot of use going forward with the Black. Like, okay, let's not not like that. Let's more say like. Um, so it's set up to be a prequel to like all the stuff in Endgame, and I'm just ready to move past Endgame and like get to what's in the future instead of working with a pr- like a prequel movie. You could have just said you're not excited about a Scarlett Johansson movie based on her recent controversy, and that would have been fine. You could have completely avoided any sort of spoiler. It's July. <laughs> <laughs> I know I this content machine going. Okay, I just didn't okay. have. Um, I was out of town on the first weekend it was open, and then like anyone who had like cared about it had already gone to see it, so I just didn't go to see it, and I decided it'll probably show up on Netflix in like th- three, four months, and I'll watch it then. Oh, for God. I mean, I know like Moving I know on. extremely obvious spoilers, but it's, since you were talking about Black Widow, I was like, this is going to be a spoiler. I have not had to bother to know what. Anyway. On. Um, at three is the Eternals. Um, it's a comic series that, again, that I didn't read as a kid, really. But um, it it has um, a bunch of big name actors and actresses in it. Um, Angelina Jolie, Richard Madden, who was Rob Stark in Game of Thrones. Um, I always forget how to pronounce his name right, but it's Kumail. Um, is Kumail yeah. Ninjani. Yeah, him. He he's in it. Um, I really like the casting that they did for it, um, and it's just it's it's the it's the willingness to take on like they're not they're they're taking like awesome steps to really use these underutilized characters or characters that weren't necessarily always the most popular, um, and they're they're, turn, they're turning it into um, massive movie franchises. Um, that, that so I'm really excited for that. Um, this is the controversy now because we're down to okay. Thor, okay. Love and Thunder, or Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Wait, um, what about Blade? Does Blade not count? Blade was announced, but it it was not officially announced in Phase 4. Got it. Okay. Thanks for um, clarification. So, Thor, Love and Thunder has Taika Waititi coming back to direct, write and direct it. Um, we have the return of Natalie Portman as Jane Foster, and it was revealed that she will be playing the uh, female Thor. Um, so they're doing the the Mighty Thor arc from the comics. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they handle that. I am putting Thor, with, with all of the good things about it, I'm still putting Thor at two, which is controversial because of how good Ragnarok was and how good Taika Waititi is for, the, for directing the Thor movie. Um, I say this not jokingly, my thoughts precisely. Yeah. Um, but I am on the Doctor Strange bandwagon. Um, I was, I, for the people who didn't really like his first solo movie, you're wrong. Um, it was 
incredible and fantastic. Doctor Strange has been one of my favorite, if not my favorite, superheroes from the comics. Um, they're and they're going full like like Doctor Strange in the multiverse of madness, like fully embracing the comic book like weirdness and fully embracing Doctor Strange as a character. And there's rumors that it'll be one of my favorite villains, Nightmare. Um, and it uh, we get to see more of Scarlet Witch in the MCU in that. Um, and yeah, I just it, it's supposed to be the first scary Marvel movie. And while I'm not a big horror film fan, um, that's still awesome that you can we're finally it's not it's no longer just superhero beats bad guy. Like we're we're, we're stepping out and we've done, you know, comedy. We've done buddy comedies. You know, we've done, you know, these serious epics such as Infinity War and Endgame. And now we're doing, you know, horror adjacent you know, it's it's impressive with the range of movies, and um, this is only going to add to it. Plus, um, the multiverse being such a big part of what makes the Marvel Universe Marvel um, and how Doctor Strange relates to it is very, very intriguing. So there, Andy, you're welcome. Wow. So that was that was impressive and <laughs> also derivative and interesting. I remember the. I remember just scrolling through Twitter when it was announced. I had like a commitment for most of that night, and I pull up Twitter, and it's just everyone just tweeting in all caps, like just pure. Yeah, that, that was me. I was at a buddy's lake house and still following it on Twitter. That's how big it was. Love the yeah. lake house, but um, I don't think we have any more questions right now. Um, no, there was one. There was one that came in. Uh, shout out Jacob Bourne. I'm sorry, I can't really answer this one about Pokemon comparables for the TBT team. I, I got, I got nothing for that, man. I'm I, sorry. I, I have like a very, like limited ten years ago knowledge of Pokemon, so I don't think I can. I think I can make that one happen. Um, I have Smash but, on the Switch, so there's a couple that I know. Oh, and I saw Detective Pikachu. <laughs> So Pikachu oh, is probably does one that of movie them. good? Um, I'm this gonna is, say a spoiler, but uh, so the whole point is like this guy, like doesn't know where he thinks his dad is dead, and then all of a sudden Pikachu comes up and Pikachu can talk, but like the whole time Pikachu was his dad, and what? it was Ryan Reynolds. So like Ryan Reynolds was voicing Pikachu, and then Ryan Reynolds is also his dad. And so, like, it's this emotional final scene that the entire time you're thinking, how does a kid not recognize his dad's voice? What the hell? <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, my God. I'm not even mad you gave me that spoiler. I'm, like, I'm like confused at the fact that that's where they went with the it's movie. A, it's, a, it's a fine movie, though. And you get to see uh, the screenshots where all those memes come from. So, I don't know. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it was a solid film. I liked it. Um. And- not the yeah. original Pikachu meme, though. That's from, like, actual Pokemon, isn't it? Like, the one where it's, like, the shocked Pikachu? Yes. Oh, no. From... There's yeah, other that's... ones, though. Like, uh... No, I, I agree. From the spooked one, and the one where he's in the car, and, like, him in the side eye. I don't know. Yeah. That, anyway. was, that, was, that was Know Your Meme with the Anonymous Eagle podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm way too ingrained in that stuff, and I need to stop. Okay, do we have any other, like things related to the podcast that we do um, <laughs> before we end the <laughs> podcast that we're doing. 
Um, I don't have anything right now, no. Um, oh, I guess go to Chicago if you live in the Midwest and are any in any way reasonably interested in Marquette basketball because there's a really good chance that Marquette has probably the easiest draw for the remaining of the remaining eight teams um, to get to the, at least the championship game. And being in Chicago, there's a very good chance that fans could really pack the place and turn out. Um, it's like Marquette and Ohio State's teams will have like a huge advantage because of regional proximity and their ability to send people. Marquette's more pronounced than Ohio State's. And so that'll be a really interesting opportunity to potentially help some guys that you watch play in college win $138,000 each. So I don't know if it's a realistic scenario because the same team has won that tournament every single year it's happened so far. But I think there's incorrect. A... Incorrect. Is that incorrect? The, they didn't win the first one, but they've won every one since. <laughs> I think that's not true. I swear they've won every single one. Am I wrong? A new recurring segment on the anonymous Eagle podcast is Sam Am I wrong? wrong. Is Sam wrong? I think Sam is wrong. I'm fairly certain overseas no. elite every year. Maybe not. Oh, oh, it was like a. Oh, I didn't even know about the first year of it. Woo! The Notre Dame fighting alumni. Wow. God, Notre Dame was the one that won it. Was you can tell nobody cared about it the team? first year. Wow, Team Barstool was the runner-up. That's <laughs> so bizarre. Burn it to the ground. Uh, wow. Okay, never yeah, so, mind. Yeah. So, if, if people are curious, um, Overseas Elite plays Loyalty Is Love, um, featuring notably. Or wait, no, what? Darius Johnson Odom. Yeah. No, that was today. That is today. I think. No, 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 that's... No, oh, is no, that correct? Next. Yeah. So, yeah, no, no, notable Marquette alumni, Darius Johnson-Sodom, um, who has played on the Marquette team in the past, is now playing on Loyalty is Love. Um, there's probably some irony in that. Um, we have uh, Brother Love. I don't know what that is. I'm assuming it's a Philly team. It's, yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. And yeah. Heinz, I don't know who Heinz is. Heinz is... I, I was watching today company. and explained it. It's, yeah, exactly. Um, no, it's um, it's a, a team formed by a Euro League All Star named Heinz, oh. who has yeah. a bunch of Euro League people that he's bringing into playing it. Yeah. All right. Um, then there's uh, the Ohio State team plays Eberline Drive, who is was in the finals last year, I believe. Correct. Um, and then Marquette draws the weirdest seed to come out of it, which was the, the lowest seed in Memphis, Jackson, Tennessee. Um, so how they got through um, the Iona Gales team, they got through Southern Gentlemen, they got through Louisiana United. Um, I mean, that was a weird bracket as it is. Yeah. Um, but they, they, were, they are theoretically the, the easiest team left, and Marquette drew them. And then Marquette would play the winner of if Marquette wins would play the winner of Brother Love, Brotherly Love, whatever that team is, um, and Heinz in the semis. 
Correct. And I, I mean, generally, I would say that the two teams that are probably regarded as the best are the two teams facing off in that one of the, the it's the loyalty is love, which is Boogie Cousins uh, recruited, personally recruited team versus um, uh, the four-time defending champs uh, overseas. overseas elite. Elite. Yes. So, and then obviously the Ohio State team is well regarded and the team that they're playing is also a one seed. So yeah. Marquette has a fairly comfortable road uh, in that tournament. Obviously, you know, still have to go out and win. But the location combined with that could make it a really good viewing experience. So if you want to support the alumni, definitely go down there and do that. Yeah, there, um, were, there were people from the Kansas City area that made the three-hour drive to Wichita on Thursday to watch both the self-made KU alumni team and the Aftershocks Wichita State alumni team. And those games were, like, it seriously felt like a real college basketball game. So if we can gather some sort of home court advantage for those games, it'll it'll be a lot more fun to watch. Com- yes. Combined the real atmosphere of Wichita State losing in the second round. No, no, no. Is that too harsh? A little bit. <laughs> All right, whatever. <laughs> I, just, I just wanted, I just wanted to see as many people from, and also, so they had, uh, they had a couple guys hurt. So, Takeel Cotton and uh, Teray Murray both uh, were unable to play, and I thought Malcolm Armstead was also supposed to play, but I no is, one ever like said anything about him. Is, so. is, Ro- is Ronnie B under contract? No, uh, I actually was just talking about him with someone last week. He is training in either his hometown or Wichita, trying to get something to work out. But he is not on the Knicks anymore, which is something that I had just learned. And so, so he just wasn't—he just wasn't on the team. No, I—I I, I guess he had thought that he was going to have something in the works by now. So, yeah, I don't know. He's- he he, he can, re- he can and, rest on his laurels. He is he will never pay for another drink in the state of Kansas again. Yeah, but his buddy Fred now doesn't have to play pay for a drink in an entire country. So yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah, he, he kind of got one up there. Yeah, all right. Um, I just love I, everyone from that team, and yeah, I I, I just too. miss college basketball now. Like watching some of these old players that I loved and. Just thinking about how the college basketball offseason is the longest thing ever. Just just got me way too amped. Yeah, I agree. I, it's such a college basketball is like this, the investment period is so short. It's like it's so intense. Yeah, it's like four months of just like you're just banging your head against the wall nonstop. And then it just dies out for a long time. It's just a very weird experience. And we are smack dab in the middle of the dead period right now yeah i think we just passed the midway point oh that's encouraging well yeah hallelujah <laughs> on, on so that we, are clo- we are closer to the start of the season than we are to marquette getting beat by murray state so that is a perfect perfect way to end this on a positive note on that note we are much closer not much closer but slightly closer to the start of another hopeful season than we are to the end of whatever happened at the end of last season that we don't want to talk about anymore. 
So thank you guys for doing this again. And thank you if you listen to what will be probably one of our longest episodes ever and had probably a solid 15 minutes of nothing to do with college basketball. But we greatly <laughs> appreciate we greatly appreciate your attention. Um, and uh, we will be back. Um, with a little when, bit more regularity. Yes. When That's... news requires us over the course of the summer, we will check back in. And uh, before anyone knows it, it'll be October and we'll be previewing the season. Awesome.